This summer bonus edition of the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Click for Vic. Click for Vic and get the best of Victoria delivered at visitvictoria.com slash click for Vic. Welcome everyone to a summer edition episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie Perkin is with me. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. Hello, everyone. Hope you're all enjoying your summer holiday. I'm Caroline Wilson, of course, and we have a special guest, Corrie. Um, by back, well, he's not back by popular demand. He's back in my life by popular demand. We've been trying to get him on the podcast for years. His name is Graham Blundell, actor, director, TV critic, film critic, producer, author and co-presenter, of course, with one of our many crushes of the week, Margaret Pomerantz of Screen on Foxtel. Graham, I just love your TV reviews in The Weekend Australian and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's great to catch up with you both. Corrie actually started me off 30 years ago in this new world. And I even had a connection with you, Carol. You might remember I used to, you used to ring me when you did a radio program on Three AW, Sin City. Yes, and, and wherever <laughs> I was, I would have to talk to you, and I could have been in some of the strangest situations when I had to kind of report on the life of the city. It was great fun. Well, there's a, there's an element of Sin City that old radio segment that had a well didn't have the longest shelf life, but I love doing it with you in today because we're talking to you in January, and we want to talk about the arts industry, which you've been so involved in and decorated over so many years, but probably start about what lockdown was like for you in Sin City. Well, it's been almost sort of like being back and totally unemployed again, because my Foxtel <laughs> shows came, came to an abrupt halt. An email came through saying, down tools uh, from one of the, the senior producers, and basically all live, uh, live product basically out of Foxtel just ceased overnight. And uh, it was an enormous, uh, many, many people, I think about 600 were retrenched very rapidly. And it was a sort of major bit of carnage and it included Margaret and myself. Uh, we may come back at some stage, you never know. But uh, it was very, you know, uh, sort of like a, a dystopian piece of sort of television, really. We were suddenly just abandoned. And uh, that's the way these things go, of course. It's happened to be many times over the years. As actors, we get used to sort of uh, being really close to people. And then suddenly at the end of a production, you never see them again. Well, we hope um, you, we hope we do see you and Margaret back on the screen because it was a great duo, and of course, Carol and I have a huge crush on Margaret as well. But um, you, thank I never thought I'd say this, Blundell, but thank God for Rupert Murdoch because he's kept you employed with your screenwriting, which we have enjoyed and relished so much this year. Because oh, well, thank we've you all, very much. Yeah, well, we've all been at home and looking for good tips. And what I love about the, your writing is. Um, not just you know what's on what's on free to wear, but also you give us some really good tips and insights into uh, longer format such as Netflix and Stan and so on. So congratulations on keeping that going during COVID. Well, thank you very much. It's been a sort of delight to keep doing it, and uh, in a way, I have to say this, I suppose, but it's it's a it's a it's an extraordinary sort of new television universe where, in fact, we don't actually have to watch free-to-air television ever again, um, except for sport, which is terrific on free-to-air television. But uh, there are now so many options. I even came across a new one yesterday, a new streamer called Shelter, uh, which is terrific. It's a high-end boutique-type piece of streaming that's all about high-end design. 
uh, and that there's more and more of this kind of um, uh, you know stuff happening, which is extraordinarily exciting. You, you can just sort of sit there all day and watch extraordinary television now. Can I just interject and say the offsiders on the ABC is free to air television, Graham, and that will be continuing. Well, let's make it, let's make an exception of the ABC and footy who are battling very valiantly. I must say, you can, go, you can their, go and re- why don't you review Caro, Caro's shows? I think that's what she's suggesting. <laughs> no, I think I, she's probably arguing for that. I think that I could certainly do that. <laughs> just because Carlton haven't been good for the past few years, there's still a lot of footy discussion. Uh, shows, Graham, no, I'm only being churlish. We don't speak to Richmond supporters anymore. I'm <laughs> sorry. Gra- Graham, it's funny to think of 30 years ago when I was arts editor of the Sunday Age and I think you were preparing a production of Hair done in Melbourne uh, from oh, yes. memory and I asked you to do keep a, a diary or, or maybe it was even, I don't know, writing about the I can't remember, but you ended up writing a fantastic interview or profile of David Williamson during that time, but you started writing for us and it was a joy to be, well, I didn't really have to edit your copy, it was almost seamless, but to discuss with you each week the stories and what you would do and to watch your mind go from director, a successful director and actor working in that sphere to suddenly the literary format and you've just excelled. Do you still love writing? I absolutely love it. Yes, well, it's become my my absolute sort of professional life now, and uh, uh, I'm I'm delighted to still be uh, doing it. But you did start me off, and it was your idea to do a column called Insider, I think, to start with, which to some extent was was plagiarised from your brother, I think, who was sports editor at the time, and he had an Insider column going with uh, from the dressing rooms of the cricket team and the football teams. That's exactly right. So we did the same sort same sort of thing going inside productions. Uh, and it was great fun to do. So I kept my notebook with me and I just wrote down every, everything witty that other people said and uh, then pretended that I'd said it. It was well, <laughs> a easy, easy way to do it. Well, if you hadn't turned to writing, who knows, we might have had Elvin Purple number 27 or something. I think old Elvin is far too old now to get up to those kind of shenanigans. It would be very politically incorrect in this day and age <laughs> no life to do anything of that yet. kind. Graham, Graham, what what impact has the global pandemic had on the industry, specifically well, been, film and TV, I suppose? Well, it's been well, well reported how disastrous, disastrous it's been, but it's, it's interesting. I was writing last week for the coming week of The Australian that uh, about the shows of the year, and uh, you know m- many of us thought there'd be very little to watch this year because production had stopped everywhere internationally. But in fact, this year has been an extraordinary year. It's been probably the best year that anyone can remember. Any critic anywhere in the world writing about the, the year says this is extraordinary what's going on. Next year looks fabulous as well. Uh, so in fact, we were rather rewarded uh, in our isolation with the, the range of things that uh, it was possible to uh, to watch. And of course, we had the, the most extraordinary television at all of all, and uh, uh, which was watching um, uh, Trump through the year. And uh, we became addicts of CNN in this house. And um, you know, we, we we now know all the presenters back to front. We just sort of loved watching their, their commentary. That became a, a television event in its own right, just seeing what was happening and then what was going to happen with the election. Well, they've certainly punctuated this podcast and Corrie's taken us through it brilliantly. And um, I'm very glad to see she's sort of her eyes are open again now because she's not sitting up all night watching CNN and all the various other networks. Although, gee, there's been some fascinating stuff in the last couple of days, haven't there? We won't talk about it. If if, if Blundell and I get onto the subject of American politics, we'll never get off. But just quickly on CNN, (laughs) there's a a lot of work that's been done on quite a few of the women, don't you think? 
Well, some men in too, t- Corrie. We were talking about Rosemary Church this <laughs> yes, morning. That's right. <laughs> we won't go into that particular topic, uh, but they are an extraordinarily, you know, gorgeous bunch. And uh, work or not, there are some just sort of fabulous, fabulous young women on that program, and uh, some rather interesting gnarled old men as well. And closer to home, speaking of, well, I think she's fabulous. Corrie's not so sure, but Nicole Kidman's obviously been um, in Australia filming in, in the northern north northern beaches. I should say of New South Wales, the Leanne Mori- latest Leanne Moriarty film or yes. TV series. Is it just my imagination, or is there suddenly a lot of production going on around that part of Australia? Yes, I think it's probably due to all the various rebates and things that are possible. And this current government, you know, delights in bringing overseas productions into the country and is not all that keen on, on promoting local productions. So you do you are seeing a lot of things going on because it's very, as they used to say, you know, uh, I'm probably still saying it, uh, Australia has become the new Mexico in terms of uh, concessions for overseas productions. Um, uh, and interesting, talking of Nicole, I mean, we were talking of Rosemary Church. I mean, Nicole, uh, <laughs> looking at, you know, there is a wonderful joke that, you know, say that you could project movies onto that forehead. You know, so. I must but say, I, I must some of the close-ups in The Undoing, I did, I did that did occur to me as well. I, I, reckon she's a, I reckon she's a great actor, though. She is, but she's terrific. And I, I have a sort do you, of close do you association. Really, do you really believe that? Do you really think she's a great I actor? I think she's very clever. She... she her work's got a much bigger range than you might imagine. But I can go back with her because I did. I was, uh, you know, the recipient of her first screen kiss. Uh, it was the Vietnam miniseries many years ago, probably of forty years ago, and I played a character based on Bruce Petty, the cartoonist, an older chap that um, had a, a house that he was divorced and uh, was renting out a house in Roselle to students. And she was a young student who came in to uh, live in the household, and we fell in love, and we had a, a, a lovely affair on, on screen. But the trouble was when we came to do this this great pash, uh, Nicole being so much taller than me, it was directed by. Um, Oh, I've forgotten the director's name, but uh, it was called uh, Vietnam. Yeah, it was called Vietnam. It was Vietnam, the miniseries. Wasn't it Kennedy? Um, John. John Dygan was the director, and to get me to be able to kiss Nicole Kidman, I had to stand on the couch. (laughs) And uh, then we did the kiss, and we had to fall back onto the couch. But that was very difficult (laughs) with me standing on the couch and Nicole Kidman standing on the floor. You are the second guest on this podcast (laughs) who has had a screen kiss with Nicole Kidman. The other one being Mark, Mark Downey was the other one. Oh in, really? Yes, because she was her. She play, played her um, lover in. Um, oh, the one set in Tasmania. Um, no, it was the first one was in New Zealand, and the second one was in Sydney. The lake, not the lake. Yeah, the, la- the top lake. of the lake. Top of the lake. Yeah. yeah. Oh, top of the lake. Oh, yes. But um, and so did you fall back onto the couch? And was it? Oh yes, absolutely. I enjoyed the moment enormously. <laughs> I think of all those fences you used to jump over in Homicide when you played yet another crim of some sort. Jumping over fences, running away from Leonard Teal. I was always running away from Leonard Teal and uh, he taught me (laughs) one of the great things. Len was the drama coach as well as the star and he'd take the young actors aside and uh, he'd uh, run through the lines with you and he said to me, Graham, you're a very fine young actor, but the thing you have to learn when you work in television is to uh, learn how to talk without moving your lips. And so for many years I acted like that without moving the lips and all the reviews said, how wooden was that performance? (laughs) That is so funny. I've loved Leonard Teal. Now, um, do you have highlights of this year, first of all? 
your screen highlights. I know you've written about it, but tell us for the sake of yeah, everyone well, it listening. Was an interesting year. There was some really sort of high-end sort of conceptual drama that, that I liked. Um, Lovecraft um, Country was an extraordinary, well, it is an extraordinary production. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen that. No, yeah, I haven't. one to save up if you haven't. Um, but that takes um, H.P. Lovecraft, the, um, the guy that invented the cosmic horror genre back in the 20s and uh, hugely influential among science fiction nerds. But he also was a trenchant racist and anti-Semitic bigot. And um, and it's kind of faded, except uh, in consciousness, except in various countercultural circles. But uh, uh, a woman called Misha Green has taken the concept of um, Lovecraft and put it together with um, the problems of um, well of white supremacy in the U.S. And it's just totally an outrageous piece of television. J.J. Uh, Abrams is connected with it. And uh, the, the, the cinematic craft in this production is just absolutely extraordinary. And in similar fashion, I loved Utopia. I don't know if you caught that one. That's another sort of high-end kind of uh, thing uh, created actually by Gillian Flynn of yep. Gone Girl and uh, Sharp Objects fame. And, uh, Utopia is great. About a, a group of conspiracy nerds and a graphic novel that somehow contains warnings of high-level government treachery in its panels. That's just... I thought that was an extraordinary piece of piece of work. And Perry Mason. Did you either of you watch no. Perry Mason? No. Yeah, we watched Perry Mason. Gee, what a... It wasn't exactly, you know, the old Raymond Burr, Della Street, was it? It was completely... It was totally different, even though Della Street appears as a character in it. Yeah. Uh, what about Hamburger? Hamburger or whatever his name was. Yes, he turns up and uh, uh, particularly through the the series, though he's played by a black guy this time, uh, it again plays with the genre in all sorts of very clever ways. Very uh, dark, it's, isn't it? It's very dark, uh, and uh, but just fabulous to watch. I thought that was a terrific one. Uh, I'll get, thinking of dark things, maybe I, I gravitated to the dark things this year, but the Gangs of London I absolutely loved as well. Have you, either of you caught that oh, one? That, that, I've just come back from Sydney, and my Sydney family is addicted to it, and um, it looks absolutely brilliant. In fact, I said to my husband, that's one we've got to mm, binge one on for the summer. summer. Um, that's one. That's a big one for the summer. As is Hunters, the El Pacino uh, Nazi Hunter show. Oh yeah, I've heard about this. And Blundell, have you seen um, Briarpatch? No, that's another. That's one I've missed. I've missed. It's one of the things about being a critic. You actually miss a lot of things. So I've got on my list for the summer. I've got Noughts and Crosses, The Great. The Queen's Gambit, I haven't seen. Unorthodox. Oh, yeah, Queen's and Gambit. And The Good Lord Bird. They're, they're the big ones on my list. You haven't seen Unorthodox yet. No, I know. That would be one of my picks, actually, of 2020. And, and the Queen's Gambit. And, Corey, on your recommendation, I started on um, Briar Patch the other night. It's great. Isn't it fantastic? She's brilliant. You'll have to watch it, Graham. It's, um, I'll it's, watch that. It's quite different. It's really addictive. Graham, um, can, we, can we get nostalgic for a moment? Yes. Um, I mean, He's the right age for it, Karen. Well, I, I'm, just in, I'm interested in, you know, I love a list, I love a top five, or, and you don't have to be specific, but have you got any, can you tell us some of your favourite Australian films? I just love this conversation, and I've read you write about it in the past. Yes, I'm, I'm always, always sort of flummoxed when I'm asked that off the, the, the top of people's heads at different times because people ask you that sort of thing in the, the car park outside Cole sometimes. <laughs> Tell us your favourite film. <laughs> <laughs> there you are, Kara. You get the original question award for today. <laughs> but at the top of my list, I reckon, would be probably, well, I think the most extraordinary Australian film I've seen has to be, without doubt, Mad Max Fury Road. It's also <sighs> the loudest film I've ever watched. Uh, but I again, the, the sheer 
cinematic craft in that is just astonishing at every level. How it relates to Australia, I've never quite worked out, but uh, it is pretty extraordinary. Uh, Wake in Fright, going way back, would have yep. to be up the top there. Um, uh, Gallipoli, I think, is pretty important. That came about at a time when there was a huge amount of discussion about what it meant to be an Australian, of course, something that bedeviled us right through the middle 60s into the 70s, even into the beginnings of the 80s, but it doesn't seem to concern people so much anymore. Oh, really Samson and Delilah. Oh, that's a beautiful film. Extraordinary film. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I think one film that I was in is still pretty good in, in, in anyone's list, and that's The Year My Voice Broke. Um, Great I think film. It's still pretty good. And I, strangely, John Jarrett's a, a friend of mine, but I think Wolf Creek. Oh, is yes. One of the, so so films. scary. I had to turn it off after half an hour. I was terrified. <laughs> well, he was so realistic. Well, he, he, so realistic. He's oh. in my favourite, and as are many others who you've mentioned, and that's Picnic at Hanging Rock. I know it's a cliche, but that is a oh, sensational film. I think that's still a bit film. wet. I loved, oh, the, I loved, I loved the piano. Oh, I didn't like the piano. I couldn't wait for them to drown in that, off the, in that boat. <laughs> just really, I thought that was a terrible. Oh, come on. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Sam Neill played no. a great... You didn't like it? Gallipoli was a, no. a, a genuine Aussie epic, but I, I must say I, I thought Lantana was a great film. Yeah, Lantana, I, I did love Lantana. And, you know, there are two films that I will watch again and again and indeed did last weekend, Babe and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. They both make me feel good. Yeah, both, both, they're very good, yes, feel And, and the dish. No I'd put the dish in there as well. The dish is great. Well, I, I love the working dog people. I've done a couple of television series with them, and I just love their work and love working with them. I did um, uh, a television show with Rob Sitch, and it was just extraordinary to work on. He, he directed and uh, as well as starred, and the whole working atmosphere was like something I've never experienced before in all those years of working. Well, they made, and they made the castle in about 11 days, didn't they? they I mean, who, who? Well, they work very far, and that's one of the things that actors love about working with them. It's all so quick, and you, there's no mucking around, no, no doing 400 takes or anything. Speaking of Michael Caton, did you like Rams? Have you seen Rams? I haven't seen Rams yet. No, it's, I think that's still at the cinema, and uh, yep. we're somewhat isolated up here on the central coast in New South Wales, so it's very hard to get into. I don't think I've been into the city, into Sydney, since March. Well, that was my, you know, we've obviously had a longer, much more harsh um, lockdown than you, but that was my first film out. And um, maybe it was the liberation of it, but I thought it was a great film. Great film. It, it's, I can't it, wait to see it. Thinking yeah. of all these great films that we're talking about, it, it's we've come a long way since the sundowners, haven't we? Since um, Robert Mitchum and Deborah Carr pretended they were Aussie battlers of the bush. And oh, well, remember Waken, Peter, Waken Peter Ustinov was, was in that too? Yes, I actually quite like the Sundowners. I even quite yeah. liked, um, you know, we've been talking about him a bit lately, Neville Shute. Yes, uh, On the oh, Beach. Yes. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really good film. But um, yeah, you, you write about um, Wake in Fright and that, that, re, that new version, my kids have all fallen in love with it too, Graham. I mean, he was ahead of his time, wasn't he? Oh, he was indeed. And the, tele- the TV series was, was pretty damn good, I thought, too. So um, just um, if we could pretend that you have an, a, an Uber account that takes you directly to a cinema once a week over the next few <laughs> weeks or few months, um, Graham, what films would you like to be seeing, have you heard about in 2020, as being rather terrific? Well, it's it's hard to know. that What's happened in the last few days, Warner Brothers, I think it was, have announced that all their... No, it was HBO. Um, 
was it HBO or Warner? I can't remember. But one of the major distributors in the States have now announced that all their films next year will go straight to streaming, as well as having a limited theatrical release. Really? And I think we're now we're now at the tipping point where the cinema may disappear in terms of the cinema that we've always you know loved for you know our, our entire lives. So very few of us now will go to the cinema. We'll be watching it all on our big screens, uh, which is certainly what we've been doing here in this house for quite a long time. Uh, there was a famous Susan Sontag article about uh, 30 years ago called The Death of the Cinemaphile, and she was talking about that way back then. And uh, it's really starting to come true, I think. Um, it's now so hard to go to the cinema. It's expensive. Um, you've got parking and you've got, you know, looking... You've got, children's tickets and they mark up all the prices of the popcorn and the Cokes and the God knows oh, what. Graham, oh, Graham, you sound I've, I've gone off it. I've gone off the cinema. I'm, ho- I'm sorry. You sound like a grumpy old man, well, which you are not. Well, well one, of your, one of your... It's $10 or $11. Children don't... You don't have to buy the popcorn. You can take your own Coke. And one, and one of your colleagues on The Weekend Australian who has a column, Bernard Salt, just before Christmas, Graham, he wrote about... Um, the way forward with the Australian economy is to embrace local and go back to all of those old-fashioned local activities that we loved, including oh, yes. going to the local cinema. So, no, um, we're Carol and I are frowning at you here. You can't it's an see outing. us up the line. It's an outing. It. I can feel the waves <laughs> of There is nothing like sitting in a large, large darkened auditorium when those lights go down. Nothing beats it for me. And I, I, I did I'm it in Sydney you. last week. I walked up to the show, Velen, to see In the Name of the Land and – it was so enjoyable, Graham. I think there was about six other people in there with me, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. I think I, I'll blame Corona, but um, it does seem terribly disappointing if cinemas are going to close down because the element of the outing is part of the experience of and seeing sharing a great it with film. sharing it with someone else where you have no distractions and you're in the dark, and then afterwards you go and have a coffee or. A- cup of tea or a drink or something and dissect the film. It just doesn't happen like that at home. I'm going to the cinema to see The French Dispatch, which I can't wait to see. No. Great cast. And I also am really interested to see Eric Banner in The Dry playing that um, detective Oh, character. that's Jane Harper yeah. uh, novel, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which I've not read. My wife's read it. It says it's fantastic. It is. Uh, tell me, do you have a view about um, the plan to – well, it's already – pre-production's already started – to make the film about – about Martin Bryant, a name that Tasmanians don't ever want to mention ever again. Yes. And what happened in Port Arthur? What, what do you think about that? I, I'm still a little undecided. I, the controversy was interesting to, to read about, I thought, or over the, what's still going on. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, interesting. It depends what sort of film, obviously, they end up making. It seems like it's a film about the, you know, his early days and how it, this all came about. Um, it's interesting. There was a fabulous documentary on recently about the making of serial killers that was on Foxtel. A woman who'd researched serial killers for 50 years and had interviewed 22 of them. And uh, that was fascinating. She uh, made the arguments based on all her experience that, uh, that, that alters made the killings, that, that, that they were kind of, you know, associative um, disorder sort of problems and so on. I mean, this, this may be the case with Martin Bryant. It'll be interesting to know. Uh, but that sort seems to be the kind of film that they're looking to make. Uh, so I don't know. I'm still in two minds about that. I'd wait to, to have a look at it, I think, rather than censor it at this, at this stage. I must Cancel say, culture, as we know, is a difficult thing I in our know. society at the moment. 
Well, it, it, Peter Gutwin, the um, Tasmanian Premier, who's someone I generally think sounds like a fairly intelligent guy, seems to echo the thoughts of everyone who lives there by saying that no one is interested in giving this bloke the respect of, of that sort of, you know, life, yeah. li- lifetime analysis. And it's one of those, you know where it ends, and you just, I, I don't know if I could put myself through it, I've got to say. No, but isn't it the same with the Ted Bundy thing? I mean... There have been countless stories about the film stories and television stories about Ted Bundy and other serial killers as well, and the public fascination never never ceases. Um, just speaking about public fascination and going behind the scenes of real life, Carol and I have been dissecting ad nauseum lately The Crown. Have you caught any of the episodes, and what are your thoughts, Graham? Yes, we've been watching it. We've been pretty obsessed with The Crown since the beginning, but this... Um, <coughs> This season, uh, we're not convinced about it in this household. Um, we're finding Prince Charles a bit too whiny. And we're finding her die a bit whiny as well, a bit hard to watch. And I can't, the, the, the Thatcher impersonation is just just straight out of pantomime. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what, really what, about Olivia, that, what about Olivia Colman's performances, uh, HRH? I don't mind. I'm, she's a great, great actress. We, I just absolutely love whatever she does. So she can put no foot wrong for me. I don't, I don't mind the kind of stubborn, stoic face that she puts on all the time. And uh, uh, I'd like to see a bit more of her, if, you know, some longer scenes with her doing a bit more dialogue. But generally, it's a bit too soap opera-ish probably for us. Oh. And, and us being you and Mrs. Kurosawa, your missus, and she, of course, has had an interesting year, your wife, because she is the travel editor for The Weekend Australian. And she hasn't had anywhere to travel much, has she? But yet she's no, kept, kept her pieces alive. Well, picking up on what you said earlier, what we've been doing is backyard tourism. Uh, we've been to, she's written stories about Orange, where we've been. We've been to the Hunter Valley twice, and she's written stories about the Hunter Valley. We've been to Canberra, had a wonderful time in Canberra. Um, so we've been doing this local tourism, which Susan's been writing about. And that's been pretty, pretty interesting to do, too. I always uh, thought you landed on your feet with Susan. Graham, because um, you get oh. to go on all these wonderful trips. Hopefully, well, she you did too. Knew my former wives as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've done. I can hardly complain. I must say. The one thing I'll say about the Crown and Corey and I differed, but I thought Gillian Anderson overacted horrendously. As so Margaret did Thatcher. I. Just, just dreadful. Oh, you see, I just, I just drawn out I, the voice, the voice, the. Voice, the <laughs> It was just hard. That's Billy McMahon you've just Dennis, done there. Dennis, on the other <laughs> hand, was absolutely brilliant. Dennis Thatcher was great. That just reminded me of a terrible old joke that, that they used to say. That Remember the dial tone on the old telephone? They used to say that was the sound of Bob Hawke thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Exa- that came from what did you think of, um, oh, you know, our favourite Australian actor who plays Bob Hawke in The Crown? Oh, Richard Rox. Um, yeah, Richard, Richard oh, Rox. He was. He was he was very good in the original uh, miniseries about that yes. must be 15 years ago. Yes. He's a, he's a great actor. I think he's our greatest actor, I think, in so many ways. And an extraordinary range. And uh, Rake, I think, his performance in Rake oh. across all those episodes is just just fantastic. Oh, I miss Rake. That was a brilliant series. And it was Loved so, Rake. It was so funny, oh, wasn't I just, it? I see the humour. You and I have talked endlessly in the past, Graham, about the difference between Sydney and Melbourne uh, 
comedy or humour and we always feel we have a bit more of the larrikin down here. It's a bit more subtle. But I just found Rake a bit clunky with the humour. I, oh, I got bored with it. We killed did ourselves. Really? Yeah, and my I mother did. does too. We just See, think I prefer is... the librarians. Made in Melbourne, Melbourne actors, oh, Melbourne no, I'm script. not a great fan of the librarians, so there you go. I love I love. Well, so I you've been living, the savagery you've been, of Rake though. You've been living yeah. in Sydney for too long. No, but what are you talking about? <laughs> I love Rake and I no, love the you, librarians. Him. Well, you just love you just love Richard Roxburgh. No, well, that's true, but I, I do think it's a very very funny show. I, I think it's a and and just getting back briefly to the Crown, Graham. The only thing I'll say about Charles and Die is that it is a human sort of tragedy in a sense being playing out before our eyes, and it was sort of true. I mean, he was a bit like that at the time, and she was a bit like that at the time. I think they captured yes, I- their relationship very well. I caught something briefly the other day that the the, the famous butler who worked for her said that it was all extraordinarily accurate. Yep, yep. And his name, but he, Paul was, Burrell. he was around at the time. Paul, Paul Burrell, 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 yes. Burrell, Burrell. Well, not, not that he not wrote the, something. He hasn't exactly got the hugest amount of credibility, but um, no, he doesn't, does he? Is well. there is there anything? Um, question without notice. Is there any story of our time or popular culture or a book you've read that you would love to see made into a film? Or a TV well, series? A intriguing question. Uh, nothing instantly comes to mind. Nothing that I've thought about. I mentioned um, um, I, would, I mentioned I would about love a month ago. Would, sorry. Uh, sorry, and I just mentioned about a month ago on the podcast that um, I went to the opening of the Arthur Streeton exhibition in Sydney, and I reckon he would oh, be yeah. a great film. He's a, he's oh, a yeah, life bio, exhibition sounds extraordinary. The paintings are wonderful. I would yeah. lo- I would love to see one of those great ABC miniseries dramas on the knifing of uh, Kevin Rudd. That week leading up to Kevin Rudd's demise, I think that would be really fabulous. I'd love yeah, that. Haven't the ABC already done that, or have they just done no. all the other knife? No, they've done. They they've broke done the it. story. Yeah. <laughs> but they've done. No, they did one of those analyses afterwards, which they do so well. You know, but you they have haven't never like, dramatised it. No, they've never dramatised it. I think that could yeah. be a really, um, really interesting one. Isn't They're, it interesting this last couple of weeks how Rudd's become a major player again? He I cannot, know. He cannot be quiet, can and he? And they keep he whacking him. News Limited have thrown everything at him, and he just keeps getting up again. <laughs> he keeps coming back. It's hysterical. <laughs> it's, I mean, they, he they've tried. He in, too. He, he hurts, I think. I think he's hurting people with the commentary. That, I mean, it's like an unending commentary at the moment. Well, I know. I know. Look, but if, if we recall, Paul Keating played this role in the early stages of the Howard Prime Ministership, yes. if you remember, just sniping from behind the scenes. Uh, and I, I don't think it's such a bad thing having a former Prime Minister bob up and down. And look, hats off, really, if he can get the attention and he, he can get a, he get some sort of inquiry into media ownership in Australia, that would be terrific. Good thing. Yes, it would be indeed. I agree totally. And I think Malcolm's playing a pretty good role in all this too. It's good to hear him out there complaining in that very articulate, patrician way that he has. Yes, there's a lot of criticism of them, both. The Penberthy article that talked about how he kowtowed to Murdoch Rudd, you know, when he first got everything he did is interesting, but Rudd just came back again. He came back with the, uh, over the Jeffrey Epstein connection. I mean, he's just got, he's, he's, I'll give him one thing, he's bulletproof or he's acting like he is. Well, what about, what about the outrage not so long ago when uh, Mr Morrison claim that uh, Rudd had been overseas in contravention of all, all sorts of rules and, in fact, Rudd hadn't been He'd been in Queensland before. the whole time since March, <laughs> zooming his way That's around right. the world. I, and, I, and he jumped on that pretty quickly too to tear down the and demanding an apology, which, of course, eventually came somewhat quietly, yeah, so but it did. Geographic attacks. Remember, uh, 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 there was a month or two ago in Melbourne, Graham, everybody 
everybody who was anybody insisted that Lindsay Fox had flown Daniel Andrews' wife and children up to Queensland where they were secretly living <laughs> on the Gold Coast. Oh, really? Oh, the conspiracy theories, I swear. Anyway, fascinating. Um, you'll have to come down to... Melbourne again, Blundell, and have a lunch or something because our agenda is still full. We have so much to talk about, but we have been recording this for um, well, we've gone over time, but who cares really, Caro? Who I know cares? when Graham... Today recording's perfectly all right. <laughs> Graham, um, round one, Melbourne, Richmond versus Carlton MCG. Wouldn't that be a good one to have a chat well, around? Well, wouldn't that be a great game to see with the, with the new look Carlton with all the young <laughs> players and, back, and maybe Charlie Curnow back as well? Oh, I hope but, so. Uh, I hope so because be, he's had terrific. A... They're always great games. Those games. So, well, we might yeah. have to get you down, and you can come and visit the podcast. Maybe you could come to our pre-AFL season, our big party that we hope we're allowed to have more than twenty people with masks on in a room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Hello, you. Who are you? <laughs> I hope you're having a wonderful summer, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It's thanks. Just great to talk to you both oh, again. Thanks, GB. It's so good to talk. We'll talk to you soon. Fantastic, thank you. And that was Graham Blundell talking film, TV and the arts industry, Corrie, and where it's going in 2021 as part of our summer series. Love to have He'll have to come back, Cara. What a great guest. Thanks for listening to this summer bonus edition of the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast, proudly supported by Click for Vic. Click for Vic and get the best of Victoria delivered this holiday season at visitvictoria.com forward slash click for Vic.